Hey guys, it's Tana. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Oddity Podity. There are a lot of weird places in the world, and some of them seem to just swallow people whole like a big old catfish, and there's nothing left behind. I'm sure that the Bermuda Triangle just came to mind, or maybe your local mall on a Saturday afternoon. People go in, and sometimes they just don't come out. But did you know that there's a place more terrifying than Claire's on free ear piercing day and is responsible for almost as many missing persons as that famed black hole in the ocean in Bermuda? I'm talking about the Bennington Triangle, which is located deep in the woods of Vermont. It's a place where more than a few have ventured into and lost their lives. This was especially true from 1943 to 1950, when the woods claimed six victims under mysterious circumstances. So if you believe in alternate dimensions, magic, or Bigfoot, keep listening. Because if you do, you just might be able to solve the mystery of the Bennington Triangle. Y'all know I'm from the South, but I've always loved New England. It has a lot in common with where I'm from. I'm not talking about the metropolitan areas like New York City and Boston. I mean, I love them too, but outside the cities, New England is a whole lot of backwoods, just like my neck of the woods. The thick forest is full of wildlife and nature and is rich with Native American history. But as magical as the forest is, it's also a place of danger. Even the most experienced hunters and hikers can easily become lost in the woods, fall, be injured, or even be attacked by wild animals and killed. We like to think that we're too technologically advanced for that to happen. But surely the GPSs in our phones would talk to the satellites in the sky and pinpoint our location to search teams should something like that happen. And that might be true, but it also might not. Technology often fails when the forces of nature are involved. And what if those who fell victim to such bad luck well before technology to track our every move was even invented? In 2014, reporter William Alexander wrote for the Vermonter.com that between 1920 and 1950, scores of people disappeared in the woods in southwestern Vermont in a triangular area between the small towns of Bennington, Woodford, Shaftesbury, and Somerset. At the triangle's center is Glastonbury Mountain. In addition to being an area that is filled with hunters and tourists and hikers, this area was also the site of numerous important historical events, including the Battle of Bennington, which happened during the American Revolution. It's also an area that was shunned by local Native Americans. They believed that the land was cursed, and they only used it for burying their dead and never for setting up camp or even hunting for food. This sounds eerily familiar to me and much like how the Micmac tribe avoided the land behind Lou Creed's house in Stephen King's Pet Cemetery. Of course, I have to bring Stephen King into this, right? But that story was set in New England too, Maine to be exact. And the natives avoided the land in that story because it had been soured by an evil spirit called the Wendigo. The Wendigo was a nasty, terrifying beast who did a whole lot of awful stuff, specifically cannibalism. The natives of Glastonbury Mountain believed that the land was cursed because it happened to be in a place where all four winds met. Because of this, supernatural forces were able to easily inhabit it. 
They had their own version of the Wendigo, which was a monster that stalked the woods in the form of a wild, hairy man. He came with an army of strange beasts that were not human, but also not like any animal in nature. They also believed that there was an enchanted stone in the woods. If you had the misfortune of stepping on it, it would swallow you whole and you'd disappear forever. It sounds like the natives are very experienced with the Bennington Triangle. Because disappearing forever is exactly what happened to many people who dared to wander into those woods. On November 23rd of 1943, Carl Herrick was celebrating the Thanksgiving holiday like a lot of men do, by taking off on a hunting trip and getting away from his family. Carl went with his cousin Henry, and the two set up camp just northeast of Glastonbury Mountain, in the center of the Triangle. At some point, the two men became separated, and when Carl didn't return, Henry assumed that he'd become lost in the woods, so he called the police to help search for him. The search went on for three days, and finally, they found Carl. He was leaning against a tree with his gun propped up next to him, unfired. His face was blackened and covered with scratches. He was dead. Huge footprints circled the soft dirt around his body. It's unclear what made those tracks. An autopsy showed that Carl had been squeezed to death squeezed so hard that his ribs had been shoved up into his lungs. Wildlife experts agreed that a bear had not killed Carl. A bear would not have squeezed a man to death. They more like to maul you up. I know you've all heard the term bear hug, but that's not really what bears do. Though this gruesome death was unexplained, the locals were not really rattled because even though game wardens said it wasn't a bear, a lot of them thought that it probably was. A couple years later, on November 12th of 1945, a 74-year-old man named Mitty Rivers set out on a weekend hunting trip on Glastonbury Mountain with four of his buddies. Mitty was such an experienced hunter that he was serving as the guide for the group, who were all staying at a camp called Hunter's Rest. According to the Western Connecticut State University newspaper archives, Mitty and his son-in-law, Joe Lausanne, left the camp one afternoon and were walking together near Bickford Hollow when they reached a fork in the road. Mitty told Joe that he wanted to go on up the road a short distance and scout it out to see if he could spot any game. He told Joe to go on in the other direction, and he promised to meet him back at the camp before lunch. But lunch came and went with no sign of Mitty. His friends went to search for him, but even though both Mitty and his hunting mates were well-experienced and familiar with those woods, there was no sign of the missing man. The next day, local authorities joined in the search, and they combed the woods for seven hours. All they found was a single cartridge from Mitty's rifle. It was found in a stream, and they believed that it fell from his pocket when he leaned over. About a year later, on December 1st of 1946, 18-year-old Paula Jean Weldon set out for a hike on the Long Trail area of Glastonbury Mountain. Paula was a sophomore at Bennington College, and her roommate didn't want to spend her winter break freezing in the woods, so she stayed behind. Many people saw Paula on her journey, including Ernest Whitman, a local who gave her directions. She was also seen by other hikers, a bunch of other hikers. And a couple saw her walking on the trail about 100 yards in front of them near a camp called Hunter's Rest. Yes, that hunter's rest. The very same one that Mitty Rivers had been camped at a year earlier. The couple said that they saw Paula turn a corner and disappear from sight. When they reached that same corner and rounded it, Paula was nowhere to be seen. 
When Polly didn't return that night, her roommate wasn't especially concerned and didn't report her missing right away. But had she known that Paula never made it out of those woods, she would have been concerned because the temperature that night dropped to nine degrees and there were three inches of snowfall. Once Paula was reported missing, a manhunt ensued and the FBI eventually joined. Paula's father offered a $5,000 reward for information leading to her rescue, but no one came forward and her disappearance was never solved and not a shred of evidence was ever found. All kinds of theories flew around about what happened to Paula. Some said she'd planned her own disappearance and had really run off to Canada with her boyfriend. Others said she'd stayed behind in the mountains and become a hermit. We'll never know for sure what happened. All we know for sure is that Paula disappeared forever without a trace. Exactly three years to the day after Paula's disappearance, it happened again. On December 1st of 1949, a war veteran named James Tedford was reported missing by his family. However, James didn't disappear in the woods. Not exactly. In the early 1940s, James was living in Fletcher, Vermont with his wife, Pearl. James was in the military, and he was called to duty during World War II. He and Pearl kept in touch as they could back in those days before cell phones, but when he returned home from the war, Pearl had vanished without a trace. Their house had been abandoned, and his family had no idea where Pearl had gone. The last time they'd seen her, she'd been heading to a store in town, but she never returned. Still, James held out hope that Pearl would return, but after a couple years of loneliness and waiting for his wife, he decided to move to the soldier's home in Bennington, which was about 140 miles away. By now, James was in his early 60s, and although he could get along on his own, he preferred to be with his fellow veterans at the soldier's home although he did occasionally take the bus to travel back home to see his family. This is what he was doing in the fall of 1949, visiting his family in a town called St. Albans, which was near his former home of Fletcher. When the Thanksgiving holiday was over, James's family accompanied him to the bus station, helped him load his luggage up, and bid him farewell until next time. But there would not be a next time. That bus ride should have taken about eight hours, with Bennington being the very last stop. However, heavy snowfall caused it to take a lot longer. Plenty of people remembered the long ride, and plenty of them saw James. At least 14 other passengers testified to seeing him asleep on the bus. In fact, the last person who ever saw him was another passenger. This passenger said that James was definitely still on board when he disembarked. So somewhere between that stop and the next, something happened to James because he didn't get off at Bennington and he never turned up at the soldier's home either. His luggage was later found still on the bus's luggage rack and the bus schedule that he'd been looking at was lying open in a seat. To this day, James's disappearance is an unsolved mystery. Less than a year later, on October 12th of 1950, eight-year-old Paul Jepson hopped into his mother's pickup truck. She was going out to do chores in the woods of Bennington, and he was tagging along. Paul's mother made her living as an animal caretaker, so when they reached their destination, she left Paul alone for about an hour while she fed the pigs. Then she returned to every parent's nightmare. Her son was nowhere in sight. Search parties were quickly formed, and they spread out in the woods and searched for Paul. Since the boy was wearing a bright red jacket, they initially hoped to be able to spot him quickly, but that didn't happen. Bloodhounds were brought in to aid in the search, and they tracked the boy's scent to a trail where it abruptly ended. 
Townsfolk will tell you that the spot where the bloodhounds lost Paul's scent was the exact location where Paula Weldon was last seen before she disappeared. But to this day, Paul Jepson's disappearance is also an unsolved mystery. Just 16 days later, on October 28th of 1950, 53-year-old Frida Langer was camping in the Bennington Woods with her family. She and her cousin Herbert decided to separate from the group and go on a hike. During the hike, Frida did something that I would have done too. She fell into the creek. Being that it was October in Vermont, Frida didn't have the luxury of continuing the hike and just drying off as they walked. It was freezing, so she needed to get out of her wet clothes ASAP. Luckily, they weren't too far from the family campsite, so she told Herbert to just hang on and wait a second and let her run back to camp, change clothes, and she'd be right back. So Herbert waited, but Frida never came back. After a while, he decided to head back to camp and see what was taking her so long. He figured he might even meet her on the trail on the way there, but he didn't. And when he arrived at the campsite, he discovered that Frida had never made it there. So somewhere in the short distance between the creek and the camp, something had happened to Frida. This one really gets me, because if Frida had had an accident, say she'd fallen or otherwise been injured, Herbert would have come upon her on the trail back to the campsite. If she'd been attacked by someone or something, surely there would have been a sign of struggle. Maybe a piece of her clothing or a shoe or some blood on the trail, right? But Herbert didn't see any of that. And neither did anyone else. Searches started immediately and went on for the next two weeks. In fact, five searches in total were deployed, which included 300 searchers on the ground and helicopters and airplanes in the air. Despite this massive manhunt, not a single trace of Frida was found. But seven months later, on May 12th of 1951, Frida's body was found. It was about three and a half miles from the family campsite. It was in an area that had already been searched, though sources differ on how thorough that search was. Some say it was only lightly searched over, while others say it was gone over with a fine-tooth comb. But regardless of the intensity of said search, Frida's body should have been found because it was pretty much out in the open and hard to miss. This led investigators to consider the possibility that Frida had been abducted and murdered and that her body had been dumped in the woods much later. However, her remains were so decomposed that the cause of death could not be determined. Whatever happened to Frida is still unsolved to this day. Like I said, I grew up in the woods. It can be a dangerous place. There will always be people who get lost, have accidents, are attacked by wild animals, and run into foul play through no fault of their own. That's just the nature of the woods. It's a wild place. And although such things did happen occasionally in the Bennington Woods over the ensuing years, it was nothing like the events that earned it the name the Bennington Triangle, when the woods claimed six victims in seven years. So who or what is to blame for the deaths? What's in those woods that's strong enough to squeeze a grown man to death? Who could outwit an expert hunting guide in the woods? What is stealth enough to abduct a woman off a busy trail and clever enough to hide one of their bodies for seven months? What is evil enough to abduct a small child and an aging war vet? Was it a serial killer or just some opportunistic murderer? Some think so. And others think that it was an opportunistic serial killer that's also an urban legend. In an episode of Most Terrifying Places in America called Unnatural World, 
Locals describe seeing a gigantic, hairy, Bigfoot-like beast in the woods that they call the Bennington Monster. They believe that this creature is responsible for the disappearances and deaths. One man recounted seeing it in the woods with his own eyes, and he barely escaped with his life. You can't tell that guy anything different. Others believe that the ground is indeed cursed and soured like the Native Americans believed. And maybe the land is cursed. Maybe inhabited by something as vile as the Wendigo. And some believe that maybe, just maybe, there really is an enchanted rock in the woods that swallows up unwitting hikers that are unfortunate enough to step on it. And maybe this rock is somewhere near a camp called Hunter's Rest. Or maybe it's all of the above. The woods are dark and full of secrets. We'll never know for sure. And I'm not about to go trying to find the answers. I know I sometimes say that I won't and then I do. But on this one, I can assure you, I will never go anywhere near the Bennington Triangle. Guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And I hope you'll come back next time, same place, same time, for a little more history and a little more haunt. And remember, if you need even more history and haunt in your life, Sign up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash oddpod. I'll see y'all then.